Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Brie. And today we have joining us famous from Twitter. Their handle is Femtrash, but they are John, associate editor with Desire over at Harlequin. So, John Femtrash, thank you for joining us. How are you? I am doing well. I'm so excited to be here. I am not kidding when I say that I listen to pretty much every episode of the podcast. So I feel like I'm also in the presence of celebrity. Oh my gosh. Uh, you don't Please. understand how much we are a fan of yours, okay? We are fans of yours. <laughs> we are, definitely. And Brie, we have one person at Harlequin that listens to us. So Yeah. I mean, <laughs> when when we say they're probably up at Harlequin rolling their eyes, we're now we know we're talking about John. <laughs> I mean, I'm never rolling my eyes. I I am delighted. I think it's always a good thing to be talked about with the care and love that you both speak about Harlequin with. So trust me, it is only good. It is only good that we are listening. Well, we kind of seen from following you online, like once you like transitioned into working over at Harlequin. So, I mean, we just love editors. So can you tell us like your editing journey and how you wound up at Harlequin? Like take us back to the beginning days. Tell us all the deets. <laughs> oh my God. We're going back to the, to the wilds of gosh, it was probably like 2009, 2010, which Shouldn't feel like a long time ago, but feels very long ago now. Um, so I like I got my start in publishing because I was a ripe old 14 or 15 years old. And I was involved. I got on Twitter. I started reading book blogs and I just really wanted a community. I grew up in a very small town in central Pennsylvania. Um it's the side that's known as Pensatucky, not like the side close to Philadelphia or like actual people. Um, you know, so I I really like felt isolated, especially as someone who was queer, who was fat, who was just very nerdy and loved to read. So, you know, kind of coming into the book community at the time and seeing that there was just a space to have discussion and to talk about diversity and all of this was really exciting. So I got my start in publishing actually as a book blogger. And I primarily talked about YA. Um, and primarily within that, like focused a lot on LGBTQIA plus YA. Um, and through that, I just kind of I also got involved with the romance world, because shockingly, everything I loved had a romance in it. And we yeah. all know that is the pipeline <laughs> to genre romance. <laughs> um, and then through there, I, I did a lot of kind of romance reviewing um, for quite a long time. So I reviewed for a while at Dear Author. Um, I also reviewed some for Romantic Times, which is now defunct, and Heroes and Heartbreakers, which is also now defunct. <laughs> Um, and I did that kind of through my blogging years, through my undergraduate time at college. Um, and through that, I also uh, had an editorial internship that turned into like, not really like a job job, but like a, a little bit of a side hustle at a small YA house. And that's kind of how I got started editing. And I just always loved it. I love complaining about things. And I love fixing things. So it makes editing an ideal job because I get to be critical of things all of the time. <laughs> and I get to be paid for it, which is quite exciting. Um, so that's how I got started. And when I graduated, um, which was back in 2017, I was looking for a full-time job. And I wanted to be in publishing, but publishing is notorious for not very paying, you know, very well for junior level employees and staff. Um, so I was looking around at other spaces, spaces where I didn't have to move to New York City. Um, and I got a job in instructional design back in the college town that I live in, Ithaca. And while I got that job, I also applied for a freelancing gig at Karina. And, you know, the rest of the story, I got to freelance there and I freelanced at Karina for about like four, four and a half years um, until I made the transition into what I'm doing now, which is associate editing for Harlequin Desire and the upcoming new sexy contemporary program. So it's a very long journey, not that exciting, but maybe a little bit different in the sense that like I didn't have what many people have traditionally, which is like they start in publishing and they have an internship at a bigger house or at a literary agency. And then they work their way up from it's like editorial assistant and then assistant editor 
editor and then associate editor, and it keeps going from there. So I kind of came at it sideways, but that's also my brand. So (laughs) (laughs) that's how it had to happen. (laughs) We're big fans of stumbling into things. Right? And you may not remember this. You can probably, you know, give us a better answer for now. But like when you entered the editing game and you got that first book to edit, how do you know how to edit a book? Uh, I think I, I think it might have been another one of the Harlequin editors you two have talked to at some point. But I think one of, somebody mentioned it on this podcast is editing being almost like an apprenticeship. And I think that's very accurate. Like when I got that first book, so like when I got my that editorial internship way back when I was a senior in high school, I knew nothing about nothing. You know, I reviewed books, but that's not editing. Uh, right, right. <laughs> so I, I just remember getting this manuscript as a test. And I, you know, just took my reader brain and I was like, what would I fix about it? And at the time, it was I would probably look back on it now and say it was much too heavy of an edit or, you know, maybe I wouldn't have even acquired the book at all. Not that I was, it was a test, but you know, um, you kind of learn to do that, right? Like you just kind of start by, by doing, and then having another more experienced editor, you know, tell you if you've missed something or if your feedback isn't working and you kind of refine it from there. Um, but the benefit of having reviewed for such a long time is like, I think I had naturally taught myself how to think of all of the components of a story. And something that I think is helpful for editing is being able to have like a big picture view of anything. Um, And I've just always kind of tended towards that. It's why I also like social justice topics, right? Because we talk about all of these things, all of these systems of oppression being interconnected. And a book is obviously not a set of systems of oppression, but it's still a set of things that all are interconnected all the time. So, and in in some ways, a book is a lot simpler. (laughs) So I think that I like learning about stuff like that and then reviewing books and thinking of all those components and how they worked was kind of my way of going into editing um, and just being able to think of why, you know, as a reader, I would have certain reactions to, you know, like certain types of pacing or dialogue or narrative choices. And, and then you just keep doing it, um, you know, and then eventually you just don't stop doing it, um, which is not a very satisfying answer, but it just kind of seems to be the case for editing. (laughs) No, I love that. Okay. I I mean, we're going to get to all the the sexy changes, but so you started off like really reading and reviewing YA and everything you enjoyed had a romance. So like, do you remember the first time you actually sought out a romance? Yes. So, I mean, I did read romance um, at that time as well, but it wasn't just wasn't as consistent. So my mom was always a Harlequin reader. So now she's much more in her mystery and thriller era. But when I was growing up, my mom had a subscription to Harlequin Intrigue. Um, oh and my she also, gosh! I know, right? <laughs> like, this was back in I want to say like the early to mid two thousands. So she was, you know, that was like a great time for these subscriptions. Um, and she also, I think, sometimes got additional ones. She's also a cowboy fan. So um, I think she got the, when they reissued and then restarted the Montana Mavericks series. Like I also remember her getting those. Um, so my first uh, my first non-category romance was Joanna Lindsay's Gentle Rogue, which a dear friend of mine um, kind of gave to me when we were in middle school. It was that classic, like my mom read this and she let me read it and now you can read it. And of course, enthralled. I mean, come on, how do you not? Like, if you've seen the original cover of Gentle Rogue alone, like I was destined to fall for romance. <laughs> and then, um, And then my first category was ironically also had Rogue in the title. It was Rogue Stallion by Diana Palmer, which is the first Montana Mavericks book. So, you know, I have these, it was very classic, you know, and if you've ever read Rogue Stallion, it's like the hero has like a literal like mat of chest hair. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think like in the, I think in the original 90s book, I think he's described as like a Republican on like the like second page. It's just like, it's very of its time. But I, you know, I was just enthralled because, you know, when you read your first romance, there was nothing like it. Okay, we know that mom is in her mystery thriller era. But like, what does mom think of you now being an editor? at Harlequin. <laughs> I mean, it's her fault. 
So <laughs> shout out to mom. to mom. He has to like it. I mean, it was a journey, right? Because my journey with romance and being public about it was also very much a journey about my sexuality and, and about coming out. Like, so very early on when I was reading romance along with reading YA, I was befriending some romance authors online and they were sending me their works. And um, I also worked a lot with the first editor at Harlequin Teen back when it was called Harlequin Teen. It's now called Inkyard Press. Um, so I just was get having these kind of natural relationships building with romance folks. And my mom and I had kind of a breaking point when um, the great Sarah Morgan sent me a few of her Presents novels. No and, way. Yes. And my mom opened the package and she was very upset. And this was before she had accepted my sexuality. And, um, you know, and she said some things that were very you know, just very unkind. And uh, to put it mildly, I won't put our trauma out there for everybody. Um, But but it was a journey, right? So at first, like I, you know, she saw that she saw it as feminine, she saw it as a lot of things that, you know, she does just not have the space to unpack. And, you know, it was a it was a journey, but now she really accepts it. And she appreciates it. I mean, you know, I'm the only person in the family that knows what she likes to read and how to buy her books. Um, and I can also <laughs> give her things. And, you know, I always love when I edit something that I know that she'll like to read because our tastes don't cross over that much. But, you know, every once in a while, um, something comes in and it feels really special to be able to share that with her and know that she's, you know, the reason why I've kind of gotten here today, even if she didn't necessarily want to be. <laughs> some time yeah. ago. Oh, I yeah. Well, okay. Tell us about, um, okay. So when you, okay, I just, I feel like I have to do this in like sequential order. Don't worry, please. This is just how my brain works. So <laughs> you get in, did you know you were going to desire? Like, how did we end up at desire? Yeah, so that, I mean, the job was meant to be at Desire, so I did know that going in. Um, And I had also, you know, heard some very minor rumblings that there were some fun things happening. And I am very good at being loud, and I'm very good at being different. Um, And I'm very good at rolling with things that are changing. So I just figured it was kind of a wonderful time to join in. And, you know, and I've always loved category romance. I mean, you know, I've read category very early. And, you know, some of my favorite romances are categories like Sarah Morgan's are some of like, to me, my all time favorite romances. If you've, for instance, if you've never read One Night, Nine Months Scandal, it's like, Ugh, like that presents novel imprinted on me and I still think about it on probably like a monthly basis at least. I would love for us <laughs> to get like just let's just get Sarah Morgan to write. Give us one more Sarah Morgan yeah, presents. I love Sarah and I, I love her. I love her single title like women's fiction right now but like I gotta tell you yeah like I would I would pay a lot of personal money just <laughs> get another presents from her um so yeah so I was excited about that but it was always intended to be desire um and I honestly like I love every one of our lines like I love the folks that work at Harlequin it's a genuinely great working environment which was honestly what I needed after a very different working environment that I came from um and, you know, and I mean, Stacy Boyd and Aaron Toma, who are the other two folks on the editorial team, are just some of the most amazing people and amazing editors. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a great team. So it, it was very exciting to be joining up with Desire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're always thinking like, okay, so you're an editor for Desire. And, and like for anybody that's listening that just so happen to stumble upon, upon this podcast and they've never read Desire, how would mm. you as someone who works with these books describe it to them or pitch it to them? So I think the, I mean, I don't know if it's our current tagline, but I think one of our taglines was like, the, you know, like an insight into America's like wealthy elite or something like that. Um, you know, other folks have compared it to kind of the be like the American presents. Um, the way that I think of desire is it is like in its current format, it does kind of feature the fantasies of of wealth and billionaires, but it does so in, you know, um, a way that is more inspired by 
you know, soap operas that's inspired by, I think, being willing to take some different kinds of narrative risks, you know, like, I think if folks like love presents, but maybe want a little bit more of, you know, kind of an interesting, like equitable relationship with the the main characters and want to see them, you know, maybe more in like a family environment or a business environment. Um, desire is really the way to go. Um, And what I love about it is that I do think like there's a really broad range of what desire authors can do, right? I mean, we have like Texas Cattlemen's Club and we have like our rough and tumble cowboys, but we also have, and we have traditional billionaires, right? But then we also have people and writers that are really experimenting with a lot of things. Um, And even really early into coming into desire, I was just elated by kind of the variety of authors and works that I got to work with. So I, for instance, I work with Kathy Garbera. She has a new trilogy coming out. Um, she has one coming out now um, that's about like a makeover firm that makes Yeah, over- it's like the Image series yeah, the or Image something. Project series, yes. And that's exciting because it reverses the makeover trope, right? The heroines are all the professional makeover people and the billionaires are all the ones who need some zhuzhing up. Um, and then she has another trilogy coming out after that that's loosely based on fairy tales that's called the Gilbert Curse Trilogy. And it's about um, this like cursed family in this small town who are all very wealthy, representing different kind of fairy tale elements. And then the heroines are all kind of coming in and slowly unraveling the curse while kind of bringing a resurgence into this small space. And it was so exciting because it's it does have these trappings that we think of with category and with desire. But it also, you know, it plays with fairy tale themes, but it also is playing with these themes of, you know, revitalizing smaller and mid-sized towns and handling generational trauma. And, you know, I mean, Kathy in particular is somebody that really likes to experiment and play. Um, And that was exciting, right? But then I also work with folks like Avon Lindsay and Joanne Rock and Rachel Bailey, who all do these totally different versions of these stories, right? So I think it's just, it's a great line for people who like those tropes, but want to see them told slant, right? Or to kind of see them in a different way. Well, now I know we need to add that to the list, Erin. We are going to be chatting with Miss Catherine Garbera in January. So I need to Um, ask her about that. Yeah, (laughs) both of us. There's a few other things that are on the list to come out in the next couple of years too. So I think she'll have a lot to discuss with you. I'm excited because it, so before you even got on the team, changes were already happening that they were already be talked about because honestly I thought you got on the team and started shaking shit up (laughs) I wish that I was that powerful okay (laughs) (laughs) no I mean I think that Harlequin is always thinking about how to make sure that we're meeting the needs of as many readers as possible, right? And we're always trying to think of how to stay afloat in the romance landscape, right? I mean, 2024 is going to be our 75th anniversary, which is huge, right? Like, we've been around a long time. And you don't stay around that for that long without being able to think ahead, right? And to adapt. And, you know, I think that there is always this awareness that um, we want to be able to offer things that are different, that are meeting different needs. And it was just the right time, right? Like I just happened to come in at the right time, which I love. So I, you know, not that powerful, but yeah, changes were already happening. And it was just early enough that I think we were really starting to crystallize what that would mean. And, you know, now we're getting to the point where where we're about to share that, right? Where we are starting to share it and it's exciting. Okay. So what can you tell us about it? (laughs) <laughs> so we're launching a new sexy contemporary line. Um, it is. It does not currently have a name. And I promise we're not withholding a name. We don't have one. And we're not just playing mysterious woo-woo here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're genuinely still figuring it out. But it's going to be a new sexy contemporary romance line. Um, it's going to be between like 65 and 70,000 words. So it's more aligned with, say, like a Harlequin romantic suspense, Harlequin Harlequin historical, Harlequin special edition, as far as like the length. So um, a little thicker. A little thicker, a little chunkier. Okay. Um, 
but but for good reason. So the idea is that this line is, it, it is new sexy contemporary, so it will be high heat. It's going to be higher heat than what presents and desire are now. Um, not like erotic romance, but it is going to have a wide spectrum that is going to be very sensual. And um, we really want it to speak to... I mean, we wanted to speak to readers who love romance now, and we also wanted to speak to readers who are coming into romance, right? Like, we're seeing a resurgence of people that are starting to discover that this genre exists, right? Like, they're filtering in through TikTok, through Colleen Hoover and Sarah J. Mass, through fan fiction, and, you know, like, at first, like, they get caught up in these waves of these single authors, but then, like, once they do what romance readers do, right, which is realize that they just love romance, right? Like, they want more, And, you know, it seems like it's a really good time to give them something that can maybe give them an entry point, not just into Harlequin, but into the genre, right? And into what we have loved about the genre for a long time. Um, So that's kind of the, you know, the the kind of main focus. And with that, we want it to be really character driven. Um, I mean, all of the Harlequin lines are complex and have complex characters. But, you know, it's really about kind of giving it a more contemporary approach, right? So rather than having a lot of maybe stricter line guidelines, um, we're making the line much more kind of broad in terms of what the guidelines are in order to kind of build out more character depth and depth and potential and, you know, trying to like see what, what else romance can be. Right. And what romance can be for Harlequin as well as for, you know, the, the genre as a whole. So yeah, it's sexy. It's in that word count. It's character driven. Um, You know, we want it to be diverse. We want it to really represent people of all backgrounds. So it's not going to be wealth focused. It's not going to focus just on the United States. Um, We really want it to represent like the widest possible, you know, world that we live in and the unique kind of experiences that people want to see themselves in when it comes to romance. So yeah, so that's kind of the, that's, that's the basics. Um, You know, I could ramble on about it forever just because I think about it every day. (laughs) I know. Well, we think about it every day. Okay. I have questions. I have questions. Okay. Okay. I've been jotting down. I've been jotting down while you were talking because I have to (laughs) ask you while we have you here. Okay. First and foremost, you mentioned how it's going to be a little broad. When I think of broad, I think of blaze. When you say high heat, I think of dare. How are we going to keep ensure that this line lasts unlike its predecessors? Well, I mean, on our end, we're continuing to do as much as we can to to make sure that it lasts. Um, I mean, I'll give Blaze credit. Blaze lasted a very long time. It did. And I mean, it Blaze did. was an offshoot of Temptation, right? So it like that les- legacy was actually quite long for Harlequin. But um, with Blaze, you know, though, because sometimes with Blaze, we've had these conversations where it was too broad. And, you know, yeah. with the one that the thing we love about category is we do kind of we come to each line for something specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is you were hitting the nail on the head. So I think, you know, I mean, I think Blaze, I love that it was experimental, but I do think that sometimes like so the difference I would say between this and say Blaze is that we are pretty solid about wanting it to stay a fully contemporary line. You know, like we were willing, I think, to potentially consider some like light suspense elements or very, very light magical elements. But I don't think we're going to try to push into those arenas the way that Blaze maybe did with more, you know, wholeheartedness, right? Um, like No I cowboy read... vampires in, yeah, in the no new Yeah, no cowboy line. vampires. <laughs> I actually, I still read Blaze for fun. I still read old category romances for fun, which like maybe seems very strange to people, but I, I enjoy doing it. I just I love that you do. Read... <laughs> I just read a Blaze... Um, there was a Blaze miniseries back in like 2007 called The Sext Sense. Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and it, was about, it was about a family of, I shouldn't be laughing because it was it's entertaining, but it's about a family of folks that can like speak to ghosts, right? So like there was stuff like that. We had like historicals and time travels and there were also quite a lot of kind of suspense adjacent Blazes, especially towards the end of the line. And I think that like we recognize that that, you know, I think readers appreciated that 
that, but it can be a little bit to detriment, right? Like, especially in category when you only have so many words, right? Like when you only have so many words, you really want to make sure that you're focused enough that you're getting what you and the reader want out of it. Um, so yes, yeah, so it's going to be more focused in that direction. So rest assured, no cowboy vampires, no like sex with ghosts, although it was really interesting to read about and I'm glad we did it. We love um, a ghost story here. And then in comparison to Dare, I would say that not only is it longer than Dare, but I mean, I say really compared to both lines, like the high heat is going to be important, but it's not going to be the central focus of the texts themselves. So, you know, like if you look at early Blaze, it's kind of similar to early Dare um, in terms of the fact that it's very much about the eroticism. It was very much about like playing with taboos, right? Like it's like, oh, this stuff is really new. It's exciting. We're not seeing it as much. And that's not really where this line is going to go. Like this line is in a lot of ways going to represent titles that you would see in single title, right? Like they're going to be ideas and concepts that could, you know, that are large, that are, you know, encompassing like a really strong character arc um, and are contemporary, but just so happen to be very sexy. And the reason why we want to do that, right, is like a lot of readers in the market right now, I think are finding that it can be hard to find a higher heat contemporary romance when the current kind of packaging of traditional romance as a whole right now is in flux, right? Like we're seeing all these illustrated covers. We're seeing all of these books that like are marketed as romance, but like sometimes are more women's fiction or chiclet or their closed door. And you just, it's hard to tell, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we want to give those readers, like we want to give those readers that like want to be assured that it's going to be sexy, but also complex something where they can go to it. And I also think something that's great about category is experimentation, right? Because we're cheaper, right? Like we're not a trade paperback. Um, I think for younger readers who are trying to discover new authors and figure out what they like, right, being able to offer something that's at a like more affordable price range is really exciting, because it means that they're more likely to actually try a new author or try a book that's maybe not so kind of readily commercial in terms of it's like, oh, it's not just about like, which is around Halloween or something, right? Like it's a little bit more, you know, unique. And I think that's something that we're really excited about with it, right? Is it gives us this chance to kind of break down some barriers in terms of contemporary romance. And I think show that like the industry can can push a lot farther than I think we maybe are right now. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask, we just recorded another episode today. Yes, Aaron, because I was going to, I was yeah. going to say it. Okay. <laughs> I I put a question to Reddit to people that have never read a Harlequin or a Harlequin category specifically and asked them why. And a lot of the answers was that it just does not come across their radar. They're not seeing it recommended to them um, through the social medias, through Amazon. How are we going to make sure that this line gets in front of the eyes of new readers. I mean, we're very determined to get it in front of new readers. I think like, I mean, in a lot of ways, this is going to look and feel very different, I think, from traditional category lines. Um, I've kind of been selling it as a kind of a category imprint hybrid or a category single title hybrid. So the covers are not going to look kind of as uniform as the other series covers. We're packaging them in a way that's much more focused on each individual book. Um, So we'll have some illustrated covers, we'll have some photorealistic, we're going to have a mixture of, you know, kind of graphic covers with photos or text. You know, I mean, playing with what the market is doing now, but doing it in a way that's, you know, a little more category. So it's a little bit more tropey. It's a little bit more explicitly romantic and sexy. Um, And that's definitely going to be part of it, right? Because something that I think a lot of readers who haven't read category before is like, the sameness is really appealing when you want comfort, right? But if you've never tried it before, it it's hard for it to feel like each story stands on its own, whether you're yeah. looking at them on the rack or whether you're looking at them online. And I think that readers want 
um, and want to feel like there's kind of a greater sense of authenticity. And I think every category book is authentic. I think that every author approaches it with nuance and with complexity. It's more about just finding a way to show the reader that that's what's actually inside of the cover, right? Um, because it just makes sense. Um, and we're just in a totally different world now, right? Like when category romance was big, right? Like people were buying books in grocery stores and they didn't have the internet to just readily discover a bunch of things on Kindle Unlimited or on Goodreads. And having that kind of specific branding and consistency was very helpful then, right? But now readers, like they do their own research, right? They look at Goodreads, they look at Reddit, like they want something that kind of feels like it's a little bit more holistic in terms of how they're seeing it and how it's being marketed to them. And that's kind of the approach we want to take. Um, And we're also talking about what this can mean as far as like trying to get category in other spaces, right? So like, I know we would love to try to get this line in indie bookstores. Like we want folks to start seeing... Harlequin category as something that isn't just kind of in this one space, like this one rack at Walmart, right? But that it is and should be kind of amongst like the rest of romance, right? Like it doesn't deserve to be put into a separate space just because it's Harlequin, right? Because like, that's not fun. No, yeah. Well, as someone who does, I mean, I I place my order every month online and then I kind of just filter in to the Walmart periodically throughout the month and pick up whatever I didn't get. Are we going to see these on the shelves? Are we going to see them in Walmart? I mean, that's the hope. I I mean, I I can't speak to like the, you know, every bit of distribution at this moment, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not we're not foregoing what we're already doing, right? Like yeah. the goal is not to stop what we're already doing, it's just to expand, right? To try and find these other avenues. Um and they are going to be in print. Um we're actually thinking about putting them in Mass Market Max, which I is love Mass Market Max. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad somebody does. <laughs> oh, I know a lot of people don't. I I think they're adorable. I love them. But I mean, if we kept them in the regular category, do you think that would? I don't know. There's a lot of romance readers don't do mass market. But I feel like if you love category, you do. Like, you know, I, I don't know. I personally would love them to be in mass market, Max. I don't know. I, I mean, we want them to be in it, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, for me, I think what's exciting about mass max, right, is like it's this sweet spot between the mass markets that we know and love and trade, right? And Mass Market Max is like a single title Mass Market Max or a category Mass Market Max is basically the same price as a Mass Market's always been, right? Maybe Mm -hmm. it's a little higher right now, but it's still like $8.99 or $9.99 USD. And I think that like, it's exciting to have something that's more accessible, right? That's more price accessible. And then also like, I personally love that Mass Max is a little chunkier because it leaves you more room for a beautiful cover and you can make the package feel a little bit more luxurious and exciting. Um, And it's also easier to hold. Like when I try to read like the traditional like category mass markets, like my fingers cramp up because like I basically uh, look like a little crab, right? Trying to hold them (laughs) open the whole time. You know, like you sit there like in your, and even if even I read them fast, but then like by the end, like my hands like won't open. Like I just walk around like a crab person. <laughs> Mass Market Max kind of gives a lot more comfort in terms of that handheld experience, which I really like. So have y'all discussed like how many would come out a month? We have. So it's going to be a four book a month program so that and it's because of the length right and also because we want to make sure that every book is going to have the capability to shine and show out and you know I mean I think that larger programs also make sense for other category lines it's just you know it's that balance of making sure that you know we're able to get these new titles discovered by readers and you know we don't want to flood the market either you know, we want to make sure that each one is getting the editorial treatment it needs and that we're able to put as much into PR and distribution and marketing as we can. So, yeah, I mean, and I think four will hopefully be satisfying. But of course, if everybody loves this line and buys them all and then we have to publish more, I'm not going to complain. So <laughs> I don't think the authors are either. No, I don't think so. <laughs> OK, I'm trying to make this make sense, but here we go. So. 
Okay, it's safe to say with this new line, it's not going to be like the sex sells, right? Is that correct? Is that safe with to say like dare and blaze and temptation, the sex kind of sold? The This new line isn't aiming for that right yes so like if you even look at the the deals that we've announced under the new line so far like for instance um i acquired this really amazing book um by timothy janowski which is about like a gay man who loved supermarket sweep and ends up in like a fake relationship to try and get on a supermarket sweep style show um, in Los Angeles, right? Like that premise isn't about the sex at all, right? At it's going to be right. very sexy, but that premise, it's like versus, you know, if you look at maybe some of the early Blaze titles or the Dare titles, it's like this heroine owns an erotic bakery and every lollipop or cake is shaped like a penis. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, which is exciting, but it's very overt, right? Um, so these titles are not going to be kind of in that just very overt lineup, right? It's much more about this, the book feeling like it's just a really organic, exciting experience. And then you know that it's going to be sexy and explicit. Um, And I also think that's important because it makes the, it gives us the space for that sexiness to be inclusive in a way that I think can be hard if the sex is, is meant to be very overt, right? So one book that I loved that's a trade title is called The Romantic Agenda by Claire Kahn. And it's a super sexy book. But what's really cool about it is that the heroine is asexual. So it's extremely sexy, but the sexiness is also able to coincide with an ace character, right? Which is something that's a little hard to do when you want the sex to kind of just be simple. Oh, I am Um, totally an asexual and I can't even imagine trying to describe it. (laughs) Oh my God. It's so, I would totally recommend that book. It's like basically like if my best friend's wedding took place in like an isolated cabin and had a happily ever after with somebody else. Um, So, so, okay. So it sounds like, okay, I love hearing you describe all of that. So was it just a, and like, like hearing that story, that specific story you just described to us, I'm like, what line would that have fit in? It doesn't sound like it maybe could have been like a special edition. Did we not have a space? Because I feel like a lot of the lines have been like romance, for example. I love the romance line. And like once upon a time, you weren't getting sex on the page and romance like that. But now you can. But it sounds like like that story specifically, I'm like, I don't know what line that would have fit in. Like maybe a special edition. Like was it the stories that we want to now have within Harlequin? we don't necessarily have a space already for them to fit in. So we need to do something different or could we have just like, or would it, it would it have not worked to change some of the reader expectations or whatever for the lines that are already there? Cause I mean, we are getting contemporary stuff and we are getting heat in the lines that we already have, but is it no, just really- readers aren't seeking? They're not looking at those lines. So let's do something different. Does that make sense? No, that makes sense. I think that's a very insightful question. Um, So I I would agree that I think there's a lot of types of stories that can fit into other lines, right? Like I, like the Harlequin editors are always thinking of how to be more inclusive, how to expand what we can with our lines. And, you know, that's a really positive part about Harlequin. Um, I think that like some of it is that like, there's a lot of stories that we really don't quite have the space for. So like special edition, for instance, right? It is it is getting to a space where some of the stories can have a higher heat level, but it isn't the line expectation, right? right. And right. then it does lean more towards traditional family structures. Um, you know, it's usually like more secondary characters and small towns. And, you know, that does, you know, like the lines build up expectation over time, right? And I think that we can always push those expectations. Um, but the challenge with an already established line, right, is that there's an established core set of readers and mm-hmm. we still have to bring them along to whatever we're doing, right? So you can change things or you can flex them, but it's it's not like you can totally just give, like, I mean, if you go too far out, right, you have what happened as you were describing with 
like, you know, late stage blaze, right? Where some people feel like it's too broad. Um, You know, it doesn't always have to be like, oh, suddenly there are cowboy vampires for somebody to feel like it's too broad. (laughs) (laughs) And I also just think that even with those, right? Like, I mean, they're getting sexier, but they're not necessarily, you know, very explicitly sexy. And I, so like something that like is going to differentiate the sexiness in this line, right? Is that it's going to use explicit language. So something about like presents or like desire right now is that the language can sometimes be a little bit more more euphemistic, right? It's very like adjective oriented and it's very much about the like emotional experience with the physical. Um, but it's not necessarily, you know, it's not necessarily plain or, um, and it's not always quite as experimental. I do think that we're seeing more playfulness there, but it's not quite there. Right. Um, so I think that that's kind of another element of it is that it's thinking about sex in maybe a way that our current lines don't necessarily have the structure to allow in quite as broad of a way as as we might hope. Um, but it's a good question. I mean, I think that a lot of these stories could fit in some place, but they might have to be tweaked in a way that I don't think we necessarily want to tweak them, right? And I think that's why it's exciting because building a new line where we're not as strict about certain guidelines and certain like plot expectations um, gives us the opportunity to let authors do things that they might not initially think they can do in a Harlequin title, right? Mm -hmm. And that's exciting because like, I think Harlequin readers, like it's, it's great to have consistency, right? But it's also exciting to be able to know that you're still going to get that Harlequin feeling out of something, but know that it might be really different from something else you've read. And I think that variety could be really appealing to even our current readers, right? Like let alone to new folks. I don't know yeah. why I'm feeling like this is kind of like the resurgence of Kiss in a way. <laughs> I'm just excited. I can't wait to read it and see what what I can't what wait we're for you to get. read it either. I mean, I, I loved Kiss too. I mean, I I miss Kiss on a regular basis. Um, you know, I, it's funny. I think this. I think it has a little. I think this has kind of shades of a lot of different lines, right? It's a yeah. little bit of Blaze. It's a little bit of Dare. It's a little bit of Kiss. It's even a little bit of Super Romance because I think Super Romance was doing that like character driven grounded stuff really well um you know i think it's just about finding a way to put all of it together so that way the whole is more than the sum of its parts right is there anything you're hoping to see is there anything you're looking for like what is i mean you shared a really exciting premise but like what's the last thing that you read and that really excited you that you're like i want to see more of this like what are you hoping comes across your desk so many things i mean the excitement about this line right is that it's so broad that there's really so many different types of stories that we could work on so i mean so some of the things other things that i've acquired just to give people like an idea of just maybe the expansiveness of my taste is um so i acquired a black sapphic romance by mecca james which is between a um physical therapist who doesn't like sports but ends up working in athletics because it's kind of part of her long term like 10-year career plan and she ends up having a one-night stand with a woman who turns out to be a WNBA player on the team that she starts working for the next day um which is exciting and um I Kathy I mean we haven't announced it yet um but Kathy is working on a story about a book binder um and a, a very grumpy man who wants to acquire some antique books from her that she got from his grandfather um which is very fun if you like you know a like a very very light kind of witchy element but without the magic you know um and it's Kathy so it's exciting um and then my co-colleague Aaron acquired a book that's also a black sapphic romance about two women who used to be on a bowling team in high school and they were rivals and then they have to come back and coach the team to victory um and like that one's exciting um and then I also acquired some by Adele Buck, whom I love. And it's about a English professor who I think is like 40 or in her early 40s. And she is being harassed by this colleague of hers that she went on a date with. And he decides to try and win her back by serenading her with a piano on the quad at the college they both work at. And then she decides to take a can of roach spray and a lighter and like, (laughs) 
ended up in flames and somebody sees her doing like about to do this and you know calls 911 and she ends up falling for the firefighter that answers the call um and you know so it's a it's a it's a really wide variety of stuff right um so i think like across all of them like what is consistent besides the inconsistency <laughs> is um, it's, it's really, it's real people, right? It's like, it's people that may be unique, but aren't, they're not super rich, right? They're not necessarily super famous. Um, there are people who uh, have goals that are strong. Um, they're finding themselves or they have recently found themselves and they're trying to get to a place in their life where they're happy. Um, and the romance is kind of a beautiful way of supporting that, right? So we're looking for stories that really kind of emphasize that people right now, right, like they want love and they want community and they want support, but they also want to be able to be their best versions of themselves. And they don't want to feel like they need to be in a romance in order to get to that person, right? So the romance is important. It is a romance, but we don't want to feel like if they don't have the romance, they're not going to get there, right? It's mm-hmm. like, instead, it's like, oh, like, you're getting to be your best version of yourself. And this person that you're falling in love with is somebody that is really aiding you in that growth, right? And you're aiding them. And you both are just so much happier together. And you're also having amazing sex. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I think those are the kinds of overall stories. Um, you know, we're, we've talked about, like, we want tropes, but we especially want kind of different tropes, right? So right now we're seeing a lot of, like, fake dating, Um, We don't necessarily need a lot more fake dating, you know, but Mm -hmm. like things like forced proximity, um, you know, if somebody has an interesting play on marriage of convenience or, you know, if they want to write things about topics like abortion or healthcare, um, or if they want to tackle things like racism and transphobia, you know, like, like we really just want to see reality, right. But through a romance lens. Um, So I know that's kind of a very roundabout way of, not saying anything, but saying a lot. I feel like you said a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> I'll give people one title that is actually out right now, though, because otherwise, like, you, no one can read these books yet. Um, I'd say, like, one book that I think exemplifies what I, like, imagine this line to be is Bet On It by Jodie Slaughter, which is a romance between two characters who have severe anxiety disorders. One is a fat Black woman, and she, like, moves to this small town in the South because the cities are, like, way too much for her. And she decides to try and find community by going to the local bingo hall. And she ends up like really getting along with like the nice little white ladies that are doing bingo on a regular (laughs) basis. And one day, like this woman that she basically becomes besties with at bingo, like has like a surgery and needs to like recover. So her really hot, tall Viking, like grandson comes to help her out and she forces him to come to bingo and they totally have like amazing chemistry, but because he doesn't want to be there because he has a lot of trauma around growing up in this small town and being bullied. Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, will they, won't they, they're uncertain. So they decide to form a bingo sex pact where like they'll only have sex if like one of them gets a bingo on their regular bingo nights. And of course, (laughs) it doesn't just stay in the bingo hall, but it starts there. So I think that encompasses a lot, right? Because it's fun. It's different. But it also is like really, it's really human, right? And it's like, these are issues and challenges that reflect what a lot of people are experiencing right now. And they're challenges that can make you feel like you don't have access to romance, right? So something that's so romantic about these stories that we want to publish, right, is that we want to show that you can go through these really difficult, complicated experiences, and that you deserve love, right? And that that love deserves to come to you in a way that makes you and your life better, however that is. So yeah, that's that's one book that I think people can look to and get a kind of idea of what we're looking for. I love that. Okay. Sexy yeah. bingo. <laughs> yes, no, sexy bingo. I didn't know it could happen until it happened. <laughs> Anything can be romantic. So I need to ask, you kind of implied it through the things you've described with some of the plots, but I had uh, I had a hankering that this this line or imprint was going to be a much more inclusive and and queer 
positive, queer-friendly space for those kind of romance stories. Is that true? I mean, of course, I think that all the imprints are working on their diversity with queer stories. And I think that I don't think any of the Harlequin imprints have any restrictions that inherently, you know, remove queer stories from them. But I think like what an op- we have an opportunity by making a new imprint with this particular structure right now to bring in a lot of queer stories from the ground up, right? And we're in a space where there's more queer romance writers who are, you know, actively trying to get traditionally published. And it's just kind of a beautiful kismet of that. So, you know, we do have a lot of queer titles on deck. And, you know, a couple of us in the editorial team are a little gay. So I think that that that's going to come bleeding into what we work on. So, but yes, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of that consistently. And I, and the goal is that, you know, like we want it to, we want people to be able to see themselves in these stories. And that's not just queerness, right? It's also race. It's also disability. It's also religion and ethnicity and culture and physical location. And, you know, it's just like, I think it's an opportunity to show people that Harlequin can provide this romance feeling to so many people, right? And it's not just limited to certain types of people, right? Or in certain situations. I just have to ask before we get off here, like, how does it feel? Like you shared with us your backstory, how you got into editing, and now you're part of Harlequin and you're like part of Harlequin when like these this incredible change is happening and you're like getting to work with like I mean Joanne Rock, Catherine Garbera, like these authors that have had these fantastic careers and you know you're acquiring new authors and bringing them on and like I, what you what you all are doing is just so fantastic because I mean yeah there are I feel like thousands of new romance readers between like Bridgerton being crazy on Netflix, the pandemic, like I see it all the time. Every time I go to Barnes and Noble, I see these young women in the romance section and I'm just like, wow, this is TikTok. This is Bridgerton. Like this is there. It's it's so big right now. How does it feel for you being part of like what's happening now and like doing what you do? I mean, it's always exciting. I I mean, I think when you love reading and you love romance, like it's it's always a fun time to be a romance reader, but especially now. I mean, and it's not even just the fact that so many more people are coming into it, but I just think it's exciting to be in a space where in a time, right, where we can really just say yes. And we can keep asking, what else can we do? What else can we try? Like, you know, the kinds of stories that I've been reading for this imprint are so exciting, you know, and there's stuff that, you know, might be coming down the pipeline that will be exciting in totally different ways. And I mean, can we get some monsters or no? (laughs) um, I don't think I I think if you want this to not go the route of Blaze, no, but I mean, I would be remiss. I mean, if anybody else at Harlequin listens to this, if you can give me the funding to like do a monster romance line, I would say yes in a heart. Not even a lot. Okay, hear me out. Hear me out. Aaron and I were just talking about <laughs> <Yeah>. this today. <laughs> Harlequin, like there was this series once upon a time. I don't, I can't remember the name of it. It took place on like a ship in the Mediterranean and it was just like, a 20 book mini series that didn't belong to a line, but it was category. It was part of Harlequin. And I'm like, can we just get like a 10 book category series that doesn't necessarily belong to a line of like gothic romances or something? Like, can you imagine Kathy Garbera, Pippa Roscoe, Reese, Ro- like these like incredible authors just contributing to this series and then it goes away? Like, just give me a random mini series. I'll be happy. <laughs> I mean, it's I. I will file that away. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I. I mean, I would love it too. I mean, I, I. It's like obviously for this line, I have to put on my contemporary romance reader hat. But I love. I mean, I love all kinds of romance. Like you know, there are some that I don't read very frequently. Like I will fully admit, like I don't identify as a Christian, so I rarely read love inspired. And I think that the authors are great and the team is wonderful. It's just not my cup of most of the time, but. Mm-hmm. You know, otherwise, 
it's broad. I love me a good monster romance, like CM Nacosta with the like orcs. Yes. Like <laughs> demons. <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> like several demons at the same time. Yes. I would love that. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of possibility. Right. But of course, like the hard part with traditional publishing is that there's just a lot of other, you know, there's factors that are beyond Harlequin that we always have to consider. And like, that's a challenge, right? Because it's, I think people forget that like, there's just, you know, I mean, you've talked about it a little bit on the podcast here with other folks about like distribution can sometimes be challenging, right? Like getting things into certain stores, not just on time, but even just getting people at these stores to be convinced that it's worth buying, Um, you know, and especially because sometimes those folks can be thinking more conservatively, right? And not just conservative in terms of like, you know, like the political stuff, but also just in terms of like monster fucking. like. You know, they're like, how could we possibly do this book where he's like a eldritch demon that is thousands of years old and she's 19 and, you know, it's a it's a hard sell. So, you know, but I, I mean, if we ever could, I would love to, you know, I miss Nocturne regularly as well. So I, I feel your pain. <laughs> Well, that's what it came. We, we were we were talking Nocturne today, and we were like, okay, they would never bring Nocturne back. But like a random periodic miniseries would be nice. Just saying, you know, it can be digital only. I will download it off the the website and read it on Glows. It's fine. Just saying. Just saying. Okay, so for the new series, I have to ask: Are the new series going to have like our typical Harlequin like? You look at the cover, you see the title, you know exactly what you're going to get, or are y'all going to steer, like, are y'all going to do something different? I think it's going to be a mixture of both. Like, I think we still want people to be able to see the hooks and the tropes, because I think readers just love that regardless of whether it's with Harlequin or someplace else, right? But I think it's going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say subtle, but I think it's going to be a little bit more playful and a little bit more unique to each title. You know, right now, um... You know, our titling does does get somewhat consistent, right? Like it, you can kind of, you can probably think of a category line and then you can think of a title that could probably be in that line just by thinking, putting random words together, right? I mean, of course, that's also how you end up with stuff like the Shakes Virgin Stable Girl, but, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or Pregnesia, um, both are real. <laughs> Snowbound with the billionaire prince. <laughs> Yes. So um, it's not going to quite be like that. And I mean, of course, like editors, like we work really hard on the titles, like it is like a it is a serious process. But I do think it's going to be a little bit more specialized as well. Um, And that's, you know, just for a lot of reasons. Um, And readers like that, like readers do like knowing what they're going to get, right? Like sometimes you see a book, and you're like, Oh, like, love comes softly. And you're like, what does that mean? Yeah, I don't know any like, it's like other than love being in the title, I know nothing. Like, so why is love coming softly exactly so i think it's i think they're going to still give you an idea of what you're going to get but it's going to feel a little bit more you know i think maybe you feel a little bit more a little bit different i don't i was gonna say more different but that doesn't make any sense so brie i think we're gonna have to have mr tony harvroth back to uh to give us the scoop on what his plans are for the covers i know we gotta dig deep on this Oh, Tony's great. Yes, you should totally have him back. When are when is it coming? So we're launching in January of 2024, which feels far away, maybe, but is feels very close to us. Oh, I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. Publishing works so far ahead. Um, so yes, they'll be coming in January of 2024, and we're going to be keeping folks updated. And I mean, it is exciting because like this new line is launching at the same time as our 75th anniversary. So I think there's going to be a lot of excitement. Um, I think Harlequin is going to be very visible and doing a lot that year. Um, Yeah, so just, you know, you all can keep an eye out on that. And, you know, our team is going to be trying to get the word out in a lot of different ways, um, podcast tour included. So, (laughs) yes. Yes. Um, you know, and you Very can always exciting. have me or somebody else back to talk more about it once we actually have stuff out in the wild, too. Because, you know, I mean, right now we're working with a lot of ethereal stuff and it will continue to solidify, which will be exciting. Well, I mean, you have to come back. Just yes, saying. We're- 
definitely I mean, having you, you back have on. a direct line to me. You two can ask <laughs> me for anything at any time. Um, yeah. And if you have other questions also, like I'm happy to answer them. Like it doesn't have to be so concentrated. I'm very, I'm maybe too talkative and too open. So. Well, we have a podcast <laughs> and we need people to talk. So, I mean, you're perfect. <laughs> we love you. Oh my gosh. Okay. So where can people keep up with you online? Is there a specific way that anybody that's interested that can are, like are y'all gonna do any pitches like uh what like so you think you can write or any events for it like or are you just people can find you on like write for harlequin and email you a manuscript like how do you want people to go about that i mean there's so many different ways so we are we do have a submissions call and write for harlequin um so you can find the information there and our line guidelines are on submittable under the new sexy contemporary tab so if anything tells you that we have we genuinely don't have the name yet the tab <laughs> is still new sexy contemporary um so that should hopefully give a good idea of what we're looking for um you know and if you have a submission there and you want it to be directed to a specific editor, whether it's me or Stacy or Aaron, you know, that's part of the submittable form that you can fill out. Um, you know, of course, like if folks just want to see my incredibly messy ramblings about publishing and non-publishing related topics, I'm on Twitter at fem underscore trash. Um, and yeah, so I think it just, if you're interested, like we encourage you to submit. Um, the exciting thing about having a new line, right, is like we're bringing a lot of Harlequin authors in. So it is going to be a lot of your favorites, but there's also going to be a lot of new folks. So it's a great time to put yourself out there if you have something that fits. Um, Or if you, you know, especially if you're the kind of writer that you never really thought your contemporary quite had a space at Harlequin, this might be the space. And, you know, especially if it's different, we really want to see it. We want to see it. You're a celeb to us, okay? <laughs> oh my gosh. If I, I have to like put that in my back pocket. I'll, when I argue with somebody and I have a big ego moment, I'll just tell them that you think I'm a celebrity. Yes, put and, it on oh, a yeah. sticky yeah. note. A mm-hmm. sticky note and keep it next to your computer, okay? Yeah, yeah just name drop us everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>